<laughs> now you're going to have to give all of that to the next speaker next week and after that. I'm going to expect it. <laughs> you know, if we got into the habit of that, honestly, the honor in this house would multiply. You know, I just, just throwing that out there. But I, I do love being loved by my people. I was actually thinking as I was up here listening to Shannon and, and um, everybody, Larry, I just am overwhelmed. I'm filled with love for this body. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful to be in this family where <clears throat> we celebrate what God is doing. We promote the things that are on God's heart. We, we celebrate each other in that and we love each other well through our failures, <laughs> you know. It's just such a great place to be. So thank you all who have been a part of that journey in my life, too. Okay. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the stragglers a little bit. That's okay. I'm not, like, I could have introduced myself and really gotten the attention fast, but I like the way you did it, Phil. You wait so patiently. Okay. It's been, a, it's been a week, guys. I had about a month to prepare last week's word, and I had enough material for two weeks. And then the week began, and I thought I was going to have the rest of my material, and then the Spirit just did his thing in that. You know, just totally, not didn't totally change course, but I've been in a, in a wrestling place with this message for the last week. So will you forgive me just the places where <clears throat> I'm just going to have to rely on the Spirit to walk us through it, Right? So let's just take a moment. Let's all stretch your hands out. Father, if you're not in it, we don't want it. If you're not with this word, I don't want to speak it. We need your spirit to guide us into all truth. It is the kingdom truth that we're after. And we need your spirit, that spirit of truth, to lead us in that place. And if it guides us into pride, we're wrong. And if it guides us into a place of hostility, we're wrong. If it guides us into a place of argumentation, we're wrong. We want to celebrate you, Holy Spirit. We want to celebrate you, Jesus, the work you've done and what you're going to do until the end. Amen. Okay. Last week we defined the kingdom. I tried to define the kingdom. And I just barely scratched the surface. <clears throat> So, and I, and I apologized last week that this can't be an exhaustive teaching, right? I told you all the books that I had read, not to promote myself in that, but to say, if you really want to go in depth, there are other places other than this 40-minute sermon that you can go and more, where you can really get the full picture of the kingdom. We can't do that. But I will say in a moment, if you want to study this stuff out, in a Bible study, and we can really scratch our heads over every word out of the love for the word, I want to do that. So, and we, should, and we should long to do that together. I think it makes us stronger in our faith. It encourages one another, and it sharpens iron, right? Okay, but I will say, in the midst of doing that, you wrestle, and the Spirit comes in and changes your mind a little bit. And it's like, I felt a little bit this week like those, those angels who are in heaven at the throne and they're gazing with all of their eyes at God, and then they <clears throat> change position a little bit, and then they see him a little differently, and then they cry out holy every single time. Because no matter where they look, no matter where they set their gaze, there's something amazing about God that they're discovering. So that's what I did this week. It's not a negative thing. It's just that, wow, God is so big, and his picture is so big for what he's doing, but his plan from the beginning to the end 
and outside of that. He's so big. All right. We developed this definition of kingdom from Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And I, and I, and okay, thank you, Debbie. We define the kingdom as the universal rule of God over his people and creation. Reestablished on earth through Jesus, who was the Son of Man and Messiah. It was made available to believers through the Spirit, yet it's awaiting its ultimate culmination at Jesus' second coming when all God's enemies are conquered and a new age begins. Hallelujah, right? We, we say this thing all the time at my house whenever, I don't know, somebody weaves a story or complains. We're like, tale as old as time, don't we? Tale as old as time. God has been weaving this story together for generations upon generations. We're just like set foot in 2022 with this huge story that he has been consistent about, that he has been faithful to his promises. He's endured treason. He's endured our rejection for his kingship. He's endured it all. But the I am king over all the heavens has waited patiently for us in this moment to carry his message just so that he can one day spend eternity ruling creation with us the way he did with Adam and Eve. So we sing that song, <clears throat> forgive me. We sing that song, uh, all is for your glory. And in that song we sing, catch me up in your story, all my life for your glory. Do you ever sing a worship song and you're like, what are we singing right now? I'm singing this over and over and over. Yeah, David's in this. We do this sometimes, we sing, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. We sing, we sing these words in our worship song, and sometimes we don't, we don't get that expansive thought of like, whoa, catch me up in your story all my life for your glory. But this is what we're talking about. Next time you sing that song, hallelujah, catch me up in your story, that this day God has me in part of his story to carry this message unto the day of his return. All right, we ended our time last week on a cliffhanger, Larry told me. Jesus ascends into heaven with his disciples asking him, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This was after three years of him declaring that the kingdom was essentially present in him when he said, the kingdom is in your midst, right? He's saying, hello, but you can't see me. You know, who he was, when he was talking to the Pharisees. But he was essentially for three years declaring, the kingdom is here in me. I am it. So today we want to unpack that view that Jesus brought the dawning of the kingdom when he first came. Though we know that the end has not yet come, Jesus has not returned, and the kingdom of God is in the days of Eden has not yet been restored. And that is the hope we talked about last week that Israel is longing for, that restoration of all things, the renewal of all things. So the kingdom is already here, I said, but not yet perfected. And that the world is still under, to some degree, that curse of Genesis 3. That sin, evil principalities, and death still wage war, right, against God's creation. So I use that phrase, already, but not yet. This is not a... Uh, this is not a, a, a biblical, like it's not a framework that we're drawing, like the, the words already but not yet, Jesus did not speak. So you get me? I'm using this, I'm, I'm eliciting that language from the Bible and I'm using it as a frame of reference, as a lens to view the word through. Does that make sense? Why does it matter that we see it this way or that we think about it this way? Well, I'm going to quote a very, very wise man. He didn't make my slides this week, so I punished him. <laughs> Isn't that a nice picture? 
All right, but for serious, he said a really serious thing, you guys. <laughs> he said, what are you hoping for? Because whatever you're hoping for, that's what you're living for, okay? If we anchor ourselves in confident hope, we will participate in this kingdom now, in this life, with excitement and full of purpose. That's what we want, right? And it, this framework of already but not yet, we talked last week, it guards us against two extremes, right? This pessimistic despair, like it's all going to just whatever anyway, so I'm going to withdraw from my role. I don't have to do anything. God's going to have to do it. It all just looks pretty bleak from here. And it also guards us against this optimism, this unbridled optimism, which I'm going to define it this way without getting specific. It gets militant about bringing God's kingdom. Does that make sense? It's up to me. And we have an optimism that it's all going to happen on my, on my power. Of course, we know, and we do this so well at this church, we hold those two things in balance. We hold those two things in balance. We can, as, as Ray always says, we can mourn at the funeral march and we can dance at the flute, right? I don't know if you remember that, that Jesus says, we can do both. So we don't use this already but not yet framework, which we're going to discuss, to back out of our authority as believers, okay? And I, I'm going to say this as best as I can. We don't overemphasize our role in the victory that Jesus will ultimately have in pulling, putting all enemies under his feet. There's a balance. There's just a balance is all I'm saying. I think we all know that. This is important, though. There is already victory in Christ for those who believe. So we can see success and breakthrough, and we have. But we still live in a world that's subject to futility, so we will also see setbacks, disappointments, and losses. We don't have to focus on those things. It's not going to stop us from running our race well, like Paul tells Timothy. It's not going to stop us from seeing that prize that's ahead and running toward it with all that we have. We're, not going, we're going to use every spiritual gift given to us to equip the body for every good work, right? And we're going to invoke the Lord's Prayer, right, our Father who art in heaven, with every hope that his kingdom will come now and on that day. Now and on that day, we will engage this victory now with power through the knowledge of his victory. Amen? All right, so um, this, this idea of already but not yet, it's sort of a modern framework. It, that term was coined in 1950 by Oscar Coleman. And he used, he used this analogy because in 1950, it was just five years after World War II had ended. So he used a now famous analogy from World War II saying, we've experienced D-Day but, but Victory Day, V-Day, or V-E-Day is coming, right? So I have this slide up here that kind of gives the dates. If you all know that, indeed, do you guys like history? Who are your history nerds here, please? Oh, so many of you. It's good to know. Surrounded by good company. In World War II, D-Day, it was an invasion, right, of Normandy. Now, it, I don't think it was just, it wasn't a one-day thing, but it started on June 6th, and it basically took position in a place that ultimately decided the fate that was going to happen, the Axis powers were going to lose, right? But from that point on, we have, well, Hitler died on April 30th, 1945, so that was about nine months later. And then 10 months later, we have the Victory in Europe Day, which was May 8th of 1945. And then the war continued for us, right? 
because Japan did not surrender until September 2nd of 1945. Okay, I just love those pictures. If this is a helpful analogy to you, and it might not be, but you can see how we're living between these two key moments in history. Coming back to Jesus, right? If D-Day being the day that Jesus showed up on the scene. Victory Day being the day he comes back, puts all things under his feet, right? And I say day, it might be more, it might not be a day in our knowledge. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to open up a can of worms right here. <clears throat> so we live between the times, these two times, and are dwelling in this, this two ages before the final consummation. The battle continues, though the war has been won. Does that make sense? The enemy knows it's going to lose, and he's going to steal, kill, and destroy until the end of it. So I was, I was just thinking, I had gone to this Holocaust exhibit with Morgan back in August, and I, I learned something that <clears throat> I had to go back and look for language for it, but I thought I heard that Germany, once it, once it started to realize it was going to lose, they had to come up with this final solution for the Jews. Up until about 1941, 1942, they were uh, making Jews emigrate. They were making them leave these European countries, or they were putting them in ghettos. They were, they were putting them in these small uh, communities. But when there came a certain point when we started seeing mass execution happening, and I was trying to find something historical to prove that something had happened. Well, here I found it. According to scholars, the pivotal moment for Hitler's decision on the final solution, which I'm calling final solution is exterminating Jews, was on December 12, 1941, at a secret meeting with some 50 Nazi officials, including Joseph Goebbels. Though no written documents of the meeting survive, Goebbels described the meeting in his journal on December 13, 1941. He says, with respect to the Jewish question, the Fuhrer has decided to make a clean sweep. He prophesied to the Jews that if they, brought, if they again brought about a world war, they would live to see their annihilation in it. If the German people have now again sacrificed 160,000 dead on the Eastern Front, then those responsible for this bloody conflict will have to pay with their lives. This meeting, which would be followed up by the Wannsee Conference in January, was uh, hardly the start of violence against Jews, but it was defined as an escalation of murder from that point on. What so I said that the, that date that they had this meeting was December 12, 1941. Okay, my history people, what happened four days before that? What happened just a few days before that? Pearl Harbor, what did that mean for us? We joined the war. Suddenly the United States joins the war effort. We declare war against Japan and therefore Germany, and we see there's writing on the wall for the enemy. And he's saying, you're going to take as much down with you as you're going down, right, on this ship. I just thought that was a really, really powerful analogy, that we're going to see it increase, it, that the war has been won, but the battle continues, and the enemy's going to continue doing his thing, and that's what we got to continue doing our thing. We have to take authority. Okay. Now, last week we only touched on the implications of what Jesus' announcement of the kingdom meant. We realize that many prophecies about the, what the kingdom of God will look like have not yet been fulfilled. I don't need to go through those, but those will be in the notes if you want to look at those passages of scripture that, that describe what that messianic kingdom will look like. But we might ask ourselves, if I'm saying that it's not yet fulfilled, what was the finished work of the cross? What was finished on the cross? 
huge question that I'm not going to attempt to answer in full, but in brief. And why did Jesus say it was near if, in fact, we'd be waiting for 2,000 years for its fulfillment, right? And this is why that lens of already but not yet kind of helps us in this case. Okay, it is finished, John 19, 30. We, we all, let's go back one maybe? No, maybe not. Okay, well, as I say, Debbie, you put them up there. It is finished. We read this in John 19, 30 as Jesus is on the cross. But then, the, then comes the end. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. So it is finished, but it's not the end. Hebrews, you can put that up now. He entered the most holy place once for all time. This is what was finished. Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, here's the important part. He has appeared one time for this purpose, to remove our sin at the culmination or the coming together of the ages. Ages is plural there. I just want you to notice, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. For the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. But then if I go ahead to verse 28, two verses later, it says, He will come again, though, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are what? We talked about this last week. Eagerly waiting for him. Okay? Okay, and then if we look, we read through 1 Corinthians 15 last week, but just to revisit the little end piece of that, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, then comes the end, this is what will happen when he hands over the kingdom, his kingdom, to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. Okay, you guys are quiet on me today. I know I've got my teacher hat on in a bigger way today. I can feel it. I can feel it's like a, what do you call it, 10-gallon hat? What's those? Texan hats, y'all don't know. None of you have been wearing them. What is it? No, like a 10-gallon hat. What do you call this? 10-gallon, 5-gallon, 20-gallon? 10. I nailed it. Awesome. This Philly girl's got some country in her all. Wouldn't you know it? Okay. So I have this, uh, this quote from Dr. Michael Milton. He says, the victory of Jesus Christ has set the church and the cosmos, right, the created things, on an undeniable trajectory in which earthly kingdoms, powers, dominions, and opposition forces will also be enfolded. Why, why also? Because we are already folded in, right? We're folded in willingly. But opposition forces, all those things will be enfolded in, willingly or unwillingly, into the rule of the Lord. They're going to come under him eventually right? So until then, believers, we are anchored in both realities. We're living in two places, right? We are, to use the cliched understanding, we're in the world, but not of it, right? I hate to say that, but once you have understanding for that, it actually makes some sense. We struggle with the forces of evil, yet we are seated above them, we're told, in heavenly places with Jesus. So this is why you see the word mystery in so many of the New Testament writers that say a mystery has been revealed because we read all of that or we think about that and we're like, what? It's finished, it's not finished, it's, what is it? Well, this is, the, this is the mystery made known. He made known to us the mystery. See, a mystery to a Jew wasn't the same as us. We think of a mystery as a thing that can't be known. To, to this first century Jewish writer, to Paul, the mystery is something that was once shrouded that's now been revealed. We can understand it. 
And here it is. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. Remember we talked about how he said the time has been fulfilled. A plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So this mystery has been revealed that the expected Messiah, that that messianic kingdom, that day of the Lord that was once expected by those first century Jews as like this instantaneous event that was going to turn over, like Rome was going to fall and suddenly Israel's kingdom was going to rise back up. It has now been revealed to be something more, well, progressive. These overlapping stages happening. It's a mystery, isn't it? But in light of Hebrews 6, or 9, we could say that Christ's first coming marked the beginning of the last days. We don't like to use that term last days anymore. Have you noticed that? It feels like it's got stigma on it. And so we don't say it. But if we understand it, again, then we can say it with, with confidence that Jesus' first coming marked the beginning of the last days when he says the culmination of the ages, plural. Christ's second coming will mark the end of the last days the culmination of the ages. We see this again in 1 Peter when he says, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was. And the plan was. But it was revealed in these last times. I went ahead and underlined the S for you. In these last times for you. You see that again in 1 Corinthians. Peter also confirms when on, on the day of Pentecost, he confirms that they're living in the last days when he quotes from Joel. And he says, uh, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So he's saying, you're seeing it. You're seeing it right now, fulfillment of that. But we also remember that Peter said scoffers would come in the last days. They're going to come, and they indeed have already come. He's had to answer to them, and they're going to keep coming. Last days. Okay. So what do we say now? Is the kingdom here or not? Yes. If so, are we in it or not? Yes. Okay. (laughs) First Corinthians 15. I just, you know, you read things and then something just jumps out at you. I've read this first Corinthians 15 passage a million times, but it says, For he must reign until he puts his enemies under his feet. Okay, he must reign until. That means he's reigning now, which means we're in the kingdom. He's, the kingdom is now. He's reigning until he puts all enemies under his feet. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So though Jesus is reigning, not everything is subject to him. We know this, guys. I'm just putting language on something. I'm just putting language on something that you already know this, right? But in spite of this, Paul says, we're in the kingdom. And actually, if you can find other scriptures to show where we have, where it says we are in the kingdom. I can only find this one where it says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves, right? We've been transferred into the kingdom. Yet, there is a time coming when we will enter it. We will inherit it. We will walk into it in a greater measure or maybe the nature of that kingdom has changed because we talked about the the dual kind of kingdoms right now, the universal one and the messianic one, and I don't want us to get too stuck in the mud on that. So 
But whatever that is, that mystery will be revealed. When Peter says, therefore make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. And in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. There's some other verses if you want to look them up. So this concept of um, living in between, in this in-between tension, is made clear when Jesus says this parable of the wheat and the, and the weeds, which we've heard tons of times. But what else can we draw from this? Let's read through it together. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The Landover servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? He says, an enemy did this. Well, do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, because when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, you know, gather the weeds first, tie them up in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. And I just want to point out, like, there's many things to draw from this. We know that wickedness is growing, unrighteousness is growing at the same time as righteousness. But the thing that stuck out to me in this reading is the servants really want to do away with those weeds, don't they? And it would seem right to do so, too, right? I want, we want the wheat to grow. We don't want any of the weeds. But eh, let's not do damage to those wheat by going after those weeds. Why don't you let them grow together, and then in the end, we'll, we'll sort it all out in the end. Do you, what was I, what, we are not to be weed pullers in the kingdom. And I want you to go where your mind takes you on that, because I'm not going to define that for you. But how many of you have been in the practice of weed pulling in your life, in your believing life? How many of you went af- after the things that you thought were justice to God, and I'm going to make this right, and we go after those weeds to correct them, to bring them, to bring them into submission, right? Are you pointing at yourself? But no, he says, let them grow up together because you have another role, guys. There's another role that you have to play. You're cultivating. You're cultivating that wheat. You're helping him make it so that when that, that, that harvest is going to be great, that he's going to have lots of wheat. We got to cultivate and work on that wheat and not worry so much about those weeds. Okay. So sinners, unrighteous. This is what was crazy to me is that when the kingdom comes, he will still be reaping, he will still be harvesting, and there will be evil from those that he harvests. I, don't, I always thought that they wouldn't be there because we'd have, we'd have taken care of them by then. But in the end, like, they'll be in his kingdom, but they will be guilty of lawlessness on that day. So it says in, uh, do I have the parable explanation in Matthew 13, 40? It says, therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, this is kind of the important part. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. I want to be shiny. I don't want to be busy with the other thing. I want to be busy making myself ready to be shiny in that place. Okay. I think we have the time to do this, but this is, um, 
Should I show the graphs before I tell you why I'm showing them? I did a little word study on these ideas that we are saved, the already but not yet um, concepts. So let's just go one by one. I can't go through them all. So I went through and looked at scriptures that say that death has been conquered already and when death is still going to be conquered. When we're free from sin but we're still wrestling with sin. Go on, Debbie. When Satan has been conquered already in his works and principalities have been conquered, but yet we're still, he's still going to do some work or we're still participating in that. Continue. We're raised with Christ. I think there was one back, right? Okay. We've inherited the kingdom, which I told you. <laughs> Let's see there. You guys can see this. We're raised with Christ already, not yet. We are righteous already, but not yet. I'm going to have this as a PDF. If you guys want to go and like read through all these, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. We've inherited the kingdom, we're adopted, we are redeemed already but not yet. We're sanctified, we're saved already but not yet. And you guys have heard that over the years in the church, haven't you? We are, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved, right? So there, there's some things that we're comfortable with, but we, sometimes when you see it like this, you're like, oh, I didn't realize. Because I think sometimes the, the world looks at the Bible and they say, I can't understand that it conflicts itself so much. Isn't that an argument that the world uses sometimes? They say, I can't understand this. One verse says that you have got this. The other verse says you haven't. We're putting on the lens of saying, yes, he started something and he's going to finish it to completion. And we can trust him because he's given us the down payment of his spirit to prove it. Okay? All right. Uh, is that my last one? Okay. So here, here's the thing. It's not my job, nor is it your job, to define where the already ends and the not yet begins. Do you know what I'm saying by that? I'm not here to get all legalistic about how far your authority goes in those areas. That's not, that's not what we're trying to do at all. As long as I live, I'm going to contend to do whatever Jesus commanded his disciples to do. And I'm going to contend for the dead to be raised in this life. Because I think in whatever way that he brought the kingdom, that's as much as we can participate in. And he did those things, did he not? Right? So we're going to contend for them. I was going to go into a really geeky argument about Greek verb tense next. How many of you think that would be a good idea? Spirit's telling me not to, so I'm going to skip it. But if you, <laughs> you want to talk Greek verb tenses, there's some really cool insight to pull from past uh, verb tenses in the Greek that give more uh, uh, assurance than, than time. Okay, that's all I'm going to I'm just going to leave it there, plant that little seed. Okay. Nobody's going to come and harvest that. Okay, here we go. <laughs> My takeaway point that I want us to all walk away with, and then we're going to talk about how then shall we live, is we don't have to live powerless waiting on those things to be already, to, to be, to come. And we don't have to live with the disappointment that this is it. Because sometimes we get that way. If we think already everything now, and then we, we get the disappointment of the realities of what those limits are, if there are limits, and I'm not wanting to define them. I don't care. God does. <laughs> He's sovereign. But I don't have to live uh, disappointed that this is all that I get, that this is it. Or that the perfecting of the age, right, the culmination of that thing, that kingdom, is hinged on my faith. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I think about the story that Jesus tells about the mustard seed and the leaven. And we usually think about, hey, the kingdom grows. But what happens is the kingdom grows without not, not much work done. Like once the person puts the leaven in, the leaven does the job. The leaven does the job. You can't see it once it's in there even. 
You couldn't remove it if you tried. The leaven's doing its work. So I think about that. We don't have to be uh, worried because that leaven's going to do its work, but we have to participate in what God has put for us to do, what he's told us to do. So then how shall we live? That's my question for the rest of our time. And then I really want to pray. We shall live sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, it says, In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. And I said this before. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. I have the Spirit to the praise of his glory. Okay, let's look at Ephesians 1.20, a few verses later. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age. So he's, he, he has it in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, okay? So what does this mean? Through the Spirit, we're going to see miraculous healings, deliverances, supernatural provision to both glorify God and continue validating the claims of this gospel to the glory of God, to the praise of his glory. Signs that point to the ultimate redemption of things. We don't want to sell ourselves short of that, okay? So we contend, and Lord, I contend, with faith that more signs will continue to be poured out and in a greater measure until that day. Okay, so we are contending for that. And I just want to thank this church. This church, we attend a spirit-filled church, and we've benefited from a lot of teaching on how the spirit manifests in our lives. And so we want to take that and apply that in our life. We don't want to just hear it and be like, well, that was nice for them. I'm glad to see that Steve's getting miracles when he goes to these tent revivals. That's not just for Steve. That's not, we, we, we are being equipped to do those very things. In fact, Jesus did the very things to equip us to do it. So the good news of the gospel is that the kingdom is now available for any who want to receive it, right? I think about the, the, the verse where he says that the kingdom has suffered, until the, from the time of John the Baptist on, the kingdom has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Have you guys struggled with that verse? I think about it like this. Have you guys seen the movie Titanic? I say, like, see the movie like it didn't actually happen in real life. But there's a scene in the Titanic where they've got the bars in front of them, the people on, like, the, the second, third floor down. And they're coming up to those bars, and they are violent. We need rescue. I need out of here. I need to get beyond these gates. They are t- what is available to them is, is there. It's there for the taking, survival, lifeboats, life itself. But they're being held back. But the violent are going to take it by force because it's available to them and they are dying for this message, right? So the kingdom is available to all who want to receive it. Take it. Those who receive the kingdom in this age will be given the spirit, guys. The spirit is the lifeboat. The spirit is the lifeboat who who helps us endure and overcome in this age, even through the disappointments of the already and unto the not yet, right? Okay, so we live sealed by the Holy Spirit. How else should we live? We should be empowered for discipleship. Empowered for discipleship. I talked last week about like being ready at any moment to give a defense for your hope that is in him. Take that to somebody else and watch it transform their life. We believe with confidence that victory is assured. 
okay? So we do the work of the kingdom. We bear the fruit of it. We teach and demonstrate it to others so that they might receive it. You know this passage from John. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And so I'm going to send my spirit. Okay? The spirit equips the individual with gifts to expand the kingdom. But he also works in the church to display the fullness of spiritual gifts. And my notes will have all those passages. This gives us mutual dependence and unity as a dynamic force for good in this world to expand the kingdom. I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. We got to do this together. And um, there's a rewording of this section of scripture that Jesus says. He says, let's go back to it. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. I'm going to turn to that real fast. Because... I don't have the earlier scripture, and that's important to this. John 14, what is it, 10? Okay. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. It's not just speaking words. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And this is the important part. Otherwise, well, believe because of the works themselves. (laughs) And so in light of that, let my works lead you to faith because whoever believes in me will also do works that lead people to have faith in me. Does, do, you hear, do you hear what I'm saying there? As you believe, also do. Okay, um, whatever those specific works are, they are a witness along with Jesus' words that lead people to faith. So when Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, well, Christians should be defined by these good works. Works which flow from faith in Jesus and point to his glory. And I think about this too. I, I, I thought that this whole message was going to be about discipleship because it's been so on my heart to, um, to train us to, to be disciples. But I guess the Holy Spirit thought we need to have this message first fueling it before we go into discipling it. Although we've seen in other churches and other countries that people are discipling before these things happen. But let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Jesus' kind of leadership was this. Whoever would be great among you must be, you must be your, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, okay? And then there's this quote by Mark Moore who wrote this cool book, Core 52. Anybody, has anybody read this? It's a great little um, discipleship tool. It says, the cross of Jesus is not only a gift to be received, it's a vocation to be accepted, okay? What happened on the day of Pentecost, guys, when the Spirit came upon Peter? We see a demonstration of, of signs in the speaking of tongues, and then we have this bold preaching that comes out of Peter's mouth, so much so that 3,000 were born again in that moment. It was probably, well, it had to be more than Jesus converted in his ministry even because there were only 70, you know, or 40 in the upper room, right? How many? 120. Where am I? There's 70. He sent out 70 at some point, right? No, am I still wrong on the number? It's all right. Grace. So talk about power. I want the kind of power that when the Spirit is on me and I speak the word of God, I speak the truth of the gospel, that many people would fall to their knees and receive it, right? 
I also want to be the kind of people who, when they see the signs, they ask me about that kingdom. They say, tell me about this God. Tell me about this Jesus. Okay, ooh, we're going to finish in time. So we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are equipped for discipleship. We are also equipped for battle against the present evil forces. These are not verses that you guys are going to be surprised by. So the, the whole New Testament has language that describes our resistance against evil. We wage war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. We may be in the flesh, guys because we're in that we're in that in between stage right now but that doesn't mean that our weapons are fleshly we are in the flesh but our weapons are spiritual and we read that in 2 Corinthians 10 too for what for taking down I don't have this verse so help me for tearing down every stronghold for that anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God whoa those are my weapons. So sometimes we don't promote this idea cuz it's sort of boring I don't say it's boring. This isn't the limit. But the transforming power of the kingdom through the Spirit is displayed in this. The Spirit changes your heart and your desires to his. Okay? You delight in God's word and the Spirit highlights his wisdom. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Part of the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are the things that those weapons are doing when it tears down those things that exalt, those thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You hate, you begin to hate sin. And as you grow in Christ, you experience increasing victory over it. Did you guys know that that's a promise for the believer that you can actually grow more uh, immune to the temptation of sin? You can experience more and more victory over it. Your life used to be plagued by, I'm not saying you will never experience, but your life used to be plagued by depression, anxiety, anger, bitterness, selfishness, passivity, that's a big one, and chaos, no sense of control. But now these fruits are growing in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know, you know. You have lost the taste for the things of this world because of the eternal glory set before you. That's the kind of believer that's going to endure to the end. And that's going to take that, take what Jesus says, like show them your works and, 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 and tell them. Let them see those good works so that they'll believe too. So it is biblical to say that we need to contend for more than just that, what I just read, and much more. And I don't diminish it. We want to grow in prayer and believe for the greater works. Okay? And the last thing, so we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're equipped for discipleship. We're equipped for battle. And lastly, we're engaged in prayer. Okay? And I, and I hmm, maybe we will stand in just a moment. I almost didn't even think I would get this far. This is such an important piece that we engage with the world in the way that Jesus did, asking for the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So although we are not going to advance the, the kingdom unto the subjection of death, sin, and Satan, those are Jesus' role, that's his role in it, we can so cultivate, demonstrate, expand the kingdom to those who are in need of it, those violent people who want to take it by force, right? They need it. We want them to hear the message, repent for the kingdom is near. I want to be somebody who's engaged in this cry for the Lord's kingdom to be made manifest now, in the here and now. And I want to be part of the, the people who are crying out, Father, your kingdom come. We're crying out for you to return. 
okay? But I felt this as I was preparing this week. And let's go ahead and stand. That one of the most, the most important piece in this is, is the spirit. Um, when Jesus came to Corinth, he came to a group of believers. And he said, I'm going to botch the story a little bit, but paraphrasing. He says, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we, we received John's baptism. We've been baptized in, in water. And he, uh, let me find the story. It's in Acts. Jesus. It's okay if I don't. I am, well, nine tenths if I thought. Nope. Okay, good. Thank you. So he's in Corinth. Actually, he came, came to Ephesus. He found some disciples, Paul did, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Well, into what were you baptized? He asked them. Well, into John's baptism, they replied. Okay, Paul said, well, John's baptism, or John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, and that is in Jesus. What did he do? He preached to them the gospel. John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, and that is in Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. Okay. Um, I say this with like my spiritual mother in the room. It's so funny. Who contended with me for a time to get filled with the Holy Spirit? I was desperate at a time. I went. I was a part of an Assemblies of God church, and the I became a. Uh, I got saved at 16, but when I graduated high school, I stayed behind and was a youth worker, and I went up to the. Uh, youth pastor at one point and for whatever reason I think he said maybe we're going to pray over people in the altar for filling with the Holy Spirit and I said I haven't received yet I don't, I don't have that and he said oh uh, we really don't want to have people ministering in the altar if you haven't been with the Holy Spirit probably wasn't the right response in that moment honestly I was really hurt for many many years and I was really um, expectant or disappointed that I didn't get this demonstration of the Holy Spirit the way that I expected which was speaking in tongues but a few years later at another church service, and I had been contending, contending for years for the Lord to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I think his Holy Spirit was in me, but I had not yet received this demonstration of the speaking in tongues, but he did. And there was something in that moment that happened to me four years after I'd gotten saved that I began to get filled with boldness to pray pray in power, speak in boldness, speak in confidence. He had conquered something in me I thought was unconquerable. My mind, my, my doubt. And I've only been incrementally working with the power that was put in me on that day. But I think that maybe uh, Phil or someone, somebody else can come up. If you feel led, I want to lead people 
who have not been filled with the Holy Spirit or don't feel like you walk in a bold power and authority to pray or to speak the gospel or to, to lay hands on somebody, to lay hands on the sick with expectation that they be made well, that there be a, a, a right now fire coming down from heaven and, and baptizing us in the Holy Spirit today for these things to be made reality. Can we do that? So let's just do that. If we can have the ministry team come forward, I'm making a bold ask in this because we're a charismatic church, but I don't presume anything. There are, there are people in this room I know that when we say, okay, who in this room has suffered an ailment and they raise their hand, that there's a resistance in you to walk over and pray, that there's a resistance in you to partner with the Holy Spirit. There are people in this room who are shaken in their faith when, some, when somebody asks a question. What do you believe? There are people in this room who are ashamed to lift up your prayer before the Lord because you don't, you don't view your language before the Lord as, as important to him. You, don't, you need to be filled with that boldness that your, that your prayers are powerful because not because of your words or because of you, but because of the spirit that's in you. So if today, if today you want to be filled either for the first time or you need a refilling of the Holy Spirit, then I ask you to come forward and get, and, and, uh, get in the altar or come to one of these uh, ministry team members and pray. And the rest of us, can we just, wherever you are, if you want to come forward, like let's all contend for this more. Let's all believe for this more that we be a church that's walking in the knowledge of his power and glory and authority. And we are gonna be those who, whose good works are seen before man and bring God glory. We wanna be equipped with every gift that brings an expansion to that kingdom now. Amen. Phil. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want Ray to come up. Uh-huh. Snap indeed. Solidarity, baby. I, I was actually just sitting in the front row and I was thinking about John Wimber and Lonnie Frisbee and how John Wimber, does everybody know who John Wimber is? He's like the father of the, the vineyard movement. And um, so he had a meeting, and I don't know the story in detail, so I'm going to give it to you in part. But he had a meeting with Lonnie Frisbee and was introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit through Lonnie Frisbee. If you know who Lonnie Frisbee is, he was part of the, uh, what do they call that in the 60s? Jesus movement, Jesus movement. And so, like, he would just come into meetings and say stuff, and the power of God would just hit the room. And people were like, I can't, I can't explain it, right? 
And so from that time, John Wimber decided in his church they were going to teach and preach power, signs, and wonders for, until the church grab, grabbed it. And he did it for two years, and the church was semi-resistant to it, right? But eventually, he, it, it actually took over, and it won over, it won, or how do you say that? Um, the church actually started to participate in faith with the Holy Spirit in the, in the signs and the wonders, and I know sometimes at this church it feels that way where we're like, all right, if you got a thing and you stand up and, okay, let's get two people. And then there's like, you know, there's 20 people in the room that move. And then there's the other 70% who are kind of like, I don't, like I love it here, but I don't know about that, right? And, and, and this, is, this is what faith looks like when it grows. It's that we get off of our seat and we walk to the person that needs prayer and that we pray for them. I don't need to make guarantees to them in order to be faith-filled. I just need to lay my hands on them. And we should look at no, no, no small thing as though it's too small. A toothache, right? A hurting ankle, scoliosis, all, all these issues. We should pray for them faithfully, right? This is the God that we serve. This is what he said we could overcome. Again, I'm not here to guarantee those things. That's not my job. I don't have to make sense of it all in my mind. It's just my job to get my butt off the seat, take my hand out of my pocket, and put it on another human being. We are all called to do that. Mike Bickle, who is one of the spiritual sons of John Wimber, says the most difficult thing he has to do, the most difficult task that he has at IHOP, is to get people to get out of their seats and take their hands out of their pockets and lay it on people and pray in faith says that is their biggest weakness, is actually having faith prayers. And so our body, we got to take the next step. It's got to be more than 20. And it has to be more than just this room, right? The room is easy. This is like practice, right? The room is easy. We're, it's like friendly fire. Oh, I don't agree with it, but we all love each other. It's like when you go in Walmart and start doing it, it's a whole, the game changes, right? I would say this too. I, I is this a post office over here? This used to be the post office. This spiritual kind of little building over here with all the little icons on it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You could see it from here if you were looking. If there was no wall there, you would be able to see the building, I think. So do you guys remember Chris Dowdy? He used to be a part of this body. I think he's in Texas now. So when, when uh, Todd White came to this church and prayed or, or preached in the, uh, what is that, Love and, Power and Love Conference, Chris Dowdy walked over to that building, which I don't know if you know, but it's, it's some kind of a witchcraft. I don't know the detail of it. I've seen the guy out there. I've, act, I've, I've heard people encountering him. He's actually a nice guy. Um, I think he identifies as like some kind of Wiccan, something. I don't want to say for sure because I don't know for sure. And Chris Dowdy just walked over there, and he had a woman with him, and uh, the, the man that lives there. And he comes out, and he says, yeah. He's like, I love living on this, because, uh, you know, anybody that's spiritual, they love spirit-type stuff, right? He says, I, I love living on this block. I feel the power pulsating off of your guy's building. This is what he's telling Chris Dowdy. He's like, I, I could feel it tonight during the conference that was happening. And this woman comes out, and she says, or Chris was talking. He, can, he continued to talk to her, talk to the guy, and, and then Chris the, the woman comes out, and she's like, well, I got demons, and I, I want to be delivered of them. Like, he didn't say, like, do you, do you, you know, he didn't come out with a huge gospel message. Just, hey, I have demons, I know it, and I want you to deliver me. 
right? And, and right there and then laid hands on her. Hey, do you feel better? Whoa, I've never felt this before, right? These kind of experiences. Here's the problem. If we can't do the stuff in this building, you will not do it outside of this building. It, it, this, is not, this is kind of like the playground and where we learn how to be bold. But I'm not going to go into Walmart and then all of a sudden be struck with this amazing grace and boldness to, like, pray for people. As a matter of fact, mo- if, you know, Todd White has his YouTube channel. It's super encouraging. You watch it. People get healed. People are, like, they're cussing but praising Jesus at the same time. It's hilarious because the power of God hits them and he actually heals them. And they're like, what the, what in the four-letter word just happened, right? And he's like, that's power of God. That's power of God, right? It's Jesus loving you right now. And so, you know, I've, I have not started a YouTube channel, but I do want to do the things that Todd White's doing. So I've gone into the Walmart. My, my YouTube channel would be opposite of Todd White's YouTube channel. It would be like, this is how awkward this can be and watch it fail 50 times. But you become so accustomed to the failure of it that it's almost like a joke and a fun testimony, right? And you're like, ah, oh, you know, the Lord's got a sense of humor. I'm not Todd White. I don't have his personality. Maybe that's it. But I want to believe in faith. I want to pray for 50 people. I want to pray for 100 people. I want to do it at the gas station. I want to do it at Walmart. I want to do it in my house. I want to do it in this building. I want to do it around this block. And I want the power of this church to not just be felt by the spiritual guy that's catty corner from us. This block needs to change. Right? But I think it starts this morning. We all have to get up off of our seats and find somebody to pray for. So I'm going to ask, actually ask Steve to come up, if you don't mind, Steve, and lead us in a prayer for healing. Can't wait to watch that YouTube channel. That's going to be fun. Oh, Jesus. As Christians in this nation, it is way too easy to just get through the week, do what we're called to do, and then get to another meeting. But we're in a season where that is changing. Doesn't matter where you've seen it yet. It happens when we decide exactly what Ray talked about, that we're going to start doing it. And as we do, God shows up. This revival in this nation is not carried by big-name speakers. It's carried by the body of Christ doing the stuff. That's what's growing. That's the places it's happening. So if you're hungry for that, would you just put your hands in front of you right now, just like this? Father, we want more. We're not satisfied with what we've experienced up till now. We've not, we're not satisfied with what we've walked in. Father, forgive us for our disappointment because sometimes we've prayed and we've not seen what we wanted and so... We've just decided it's not us. 
Now, Father, right now we shake off that disappointment and we refuse to let that control us. We refuse to let that slow us down any longer. So in Jesus' name, we just release right now the power of the Holy Spirit to just touch each person in this room. And we declare that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you need healing in your body, would you raise your hand quickly right now, wherever you are, just keep it up. If you need healing. Yeah, somebody near these, go to them. One, two, three people, go to each of those. Keep your hands up till somebody gets to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I just take a moment and just speak from the power of that Holy Spirit that's in you and just release the healing power of Jesus right now. Right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit's really working, and I and I feel like there was a, a call again from what Ray had shared as well, and you're just praying over those. Lord, I just thank you for miraculous healings happening right now in the name of Jesus. Bodies being healed, minds being healed. Thank you, Jesus. In this place, you are working and you are healing. You are healing, Jesus. I just feel like we're, there's a, there's a second call, and I've I just encourage those who are praying, continue to pray, but there's just a second call after Ray's word. There's a, there's, there's a second call for either a, um, an initial baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can link it through the word of God as, as they talk more and more about the power of the Holy Spirit that's available. And Melissa did such a good job with that. I've just come to discover that the Holy Spirit is the most dangerous spirit in the universe to any works of darkness. And if today you are struggling with works of darkness in your life, if you're struggling because you can't get over, you can't break through, you're, you're struggling um, this morning in the word, it calls it demonized. Let's just call it for what it is. But this morning, if you're just struggling and demonic spirits are messing with you, we want to pray for you and invite the Holy Spirit just to touch you at this time in this moment. If you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm putting this out again after Ray. Listen, it said to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. There is opportunity. We want to, I, I, I would, let's, let's do this. In anticipation, could I just ask a couple more people to come down here and join who's down here? A couple, right, let's get a couple more elders and staff. Could you come down with me? Chris, why don't you join me? Let's go up front here. And we're going to do it in faith that you're going to come. Because we all need a fresh infilling from the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to put you under pressure. You can leave. If you, 
if you're feeling that. You know, you can just go on to your, wherever you need to do, pick your kids up, and there's no condemnation. Kids need to be picked up. You got places to go and people to see. There's, there's no condemnation here. But if there's a hunger in you, come on down. If there's a hunger in you, come on down front. And we just want to pray over you for a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit, for another infilling, right, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Or if you're, you're struggling and you're demonized, if you're struggling in the area of... Um, if you're struggling in the area of, of health issues that are continual, I would ask you to come down as well. I'm just feeling like that. Health issues that just do not seem to be able to be resolved. We want a prayer of you as well. Chris, would you join me up here? Bless you guys. Hope that didn't come out too hard, but I'm hungry for God. And if you're hungry, come on. Come on. We've all got things to do, and those are important. And I bless you in doing those things, but... If you're hungry, come on down. Come on down. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Bless you guys. Don't forget to pick up your kids. Don't, don't forget to go out and with these hands, right, spread. Lord, give us complete boldness. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Amen? Acts 4. We're part of it right now. So let's do it.